Well, I was going to say summer is here, and then I woke up this morning and scraped ice off my windows. Um, it felt like summer was going to be here. We've had 90s days this week, and then, yeah, all of a sudden frost. Um, but since, since we're, we're still living in a camper, waiting to find that perfect place, um, you know, seasons are changing, and we have limited storage. So now all of a sudden we need to be digging out the shorts, finding swimsuits, preparing for summer. And many of you, see, again, I'm in a camper. I don't have to do this part, though. A lot of you have had to get your mowers out, Right? Um, some of you are even mowing the nice stripes in the yard, right? Don't raise your hand. We, we know. Uh, I, I envy that because that is, gardening is not my strong suit. I put everything from mowing, weed eating, um, flower gardens, vegetable gardens, all of that is all the same for me. It's all gardening stuff, um, I, I'm not a gardener by any means. Uh, and maybe, I think maybe this comes from gardening growing up. My mom would always get us going with our garden. We'd plant a nice big garden. And my favorite, we, we always had to plant, I had to make sure there were cucumbers because we had a great recipe for pickles. And so we had to, you had to grow the dill. We had to grow the garlic. But the cucumbers, like you had to make sure you had a huge space for cucumbers so we could have pickles. I didn't care about anything else. Just had to get the pickles. And so uh, gardening would always go s nice and smooth. My sisters would not do any of the work, you know. I have three sisters. I hope they listen to this and hear this. Um, yeah. Um, I, would do, I, I would help my mom do the weed eating. And, you know, they, like most gardens, it probably goes really well for the first couple weeks, right? And then all of a sudden it's like, eh, you can't really see in between the rows as easily. I'm sure it's fine in there. And We'd be digging through, and like the, the exciting part is when you start to see the smaller cucumbers. We always want them small so that you don't have some giant thing that you can't fit in a jar or make a pickle. So you, you're finding those nice little ones. And my parents live in western Nebraska. We do have rattlesnakes. And so as soon as, like inevitably every year, we'd be gardening, finding those cucumbers, digging through, and you'd hear us scream, cucumbers go flying, and the garden could rot. Like, it was done at that point. It, my mom would not be out there again. Doesn't matter what kind of snake, we're finished. And that's where my love of gardening came from. Um, I think I just skipped to the, it can all rot, and we, we just go on from there. Um, maybe my, my, my biggest problem is probably our house that, w that we had in Shenandoah. There are lots of perennial flowers that all come up, and it looks super nice. The problem is, I don't know what's what. Like, it, it all just looks like green to me, and I don't know what, like, I just want to start pulling stuff. Like, I go, I don't know, it's big, it's too much, see ya. And start yanking stuff out, and Sarah's like, no, it's supposed to be there. Like, that's, that's a plant we're supposed to have. And I'm like, well, it got big, so. Um, and then there's other things, like weeds, weeds flower out too. Like, there's flowers on those things, so how do I know the difference? I don't. So, uh, a friend of mine t taught me a rule that I now live by. He said, any plant that is not where it's supposed to be is a weed. Sarah did not want me to know that because that just gave me power to say, that's not supposed to be there. Weed, gone. Like, I can now yank them out or use my favorite tool for gardening, the weed eater. 
and just like plow it all down. We're good to go. It's all, yeah. I, Sarah doesn't like me gardening too much. But me not understanding what's a plant, what's a weed, and just plowing it over, I'm very thankful that God has much more insight and wisdom and knowledge to identifying what is fruitful and what is not. So if you want to open your Bibles with us this morning, we're going to be looking at John chapter 15, and we're going to look at what does fruit-producing faith look like. And hopefully, we're going to see that in our lives, when we produce fruit, that it actually proves that we are connected or united with God, and it also bears witness to those around us of what a faithful life looks like. So before we dive in, let's go ahead and let's pray. God, I ask that you would use your word today um, to mold us and shape us, that you would help our hearts to be receptive to what's being said, and that we would be changed because of what we hear today through your word. God, we love you and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start John chapter 15. We're going to kind of walk through 1 through 17, and we're going to break it up into sections and see how we can be better disciples that bear fruit. So uh, the very first section we're going to see is that disciples are identified by their unity or their connectedness with God by the fruit that they produce. So we're going to look at that in John chapter 15, 1 through 6 is where we're going to start. So Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burn. So right at the very beginning of this, we see an I am statement. This is the last of the seven I am statements that Jesus makes. And as you look at those I am statements, the thing that stands out to me is that when Jesus says I am, he's telling you that I am sufficient, or I am enough, or I am what you lack. So we can often say, well, I'm not strong enough for that. That's okay. You don't have to be strong enough because Jesus is. And so when we look at those statements of the I am's, we have to understand, you can insert whatever you want. You say, well, I'm not. Well, Jesus is. I am. So when Jesus says, I am that, or I am what you lack, Jesus is saying, stay connected with me. If you remember last week, Justin talked about that Jesus was telling the, the disciples that he was going to be leaving. And he said, I'm, I'm going to leave another of the same kind with you. And so they were nervous about what is this going to look like to not have Jesus. And, but he tells them, but I am with you and you need to be connected with me. Trust me and abide with me. And it's not on your own power. It's good that you not be doing this on your own or on your own power, but that you abide in me. So then he says, I am the true vine. A couple of things that I think are extremely significant here. He says, the, which I get that's not a huge thing, right? Um, but he says, I am the true vine. We, we read a couple weeks ago, Dave pointed out that when we read John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way except to the Father, except 
through Jesus. So when he says, I am the true vine, we have to understand there are others that we could get connected to. And he's, but he says, I am the true vine. So there are other false vines out there that we can get connected with that we think are going to bring us life and satisfaction and that are going to fill us up. And yet we get ourselves connected with those things and we find out they really are not really the source of life. And so it, it, it almost sounds like, I guess, one of those bad infomercials. They, they turn on and you, at, when you start watching, you didn't know you needed something. And then they start to lay it all out. And all of a sudden you're like, that's true. My legs are awfully weak. I do need this workout machine. So it's like all of a sudden then you're like, I better order that and make my four payments of, you know, 95, 95 or whatever. And then you get this machine and you're like, I don't understand how it works. And it does nothing for you. We can, we can put our trust and faith in, in a lot of things that don't make sense or are not going to help. But Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the one that brings life. So let's, let's look a couple, we have a couple of the roles that we're looking at here. And again, I'm in a camper. I don't have a yard. I stole these from somebody. You can have them back later. Um, and stuff's falling off already. This, okay, and if we're talking about abiding, this I cut this morning before I came. And look at these leaves on this thing. They're like droopy and wilty and that, that could play into this abiding thing because it doesn't take long of not abiding and uh, you see the results. This was the tree next to it. Um, yeah, this one obviously not bearing fruit, right? It's already, I broke that already. Like I wasn't very gentle. Um, so we talk about God is the vine dresser and he is the one that comes and he nurtures and cares for and prunes and he takes care of this vine so that it produces fruit, right? So everything he does, he's going to protect it. He's going to nurture all of those things to help it grow and produce something. Okay, if, if anybody, are you guys all gardeners here? You can't see what kind of, this is, I didn't know what it was. I saw thorns and rose. I think it's a locust tree maybe. I'm getting some nods. It's, it's got some nasty thorns on it. So I was careful while cutting. But um, this thing is not going to produce any fruit. But if you, were, if you were to be a fruit tree, you would take care of it. Sometimes they'll even like pick off little pieces, like the, some of the small grapes. They'll even pluck some off so that it's not about the quantity. It's about the quality that you get. And so the vine dresser does all this to take care of the vine so that it produces. Then we have Jesus is the vine. He is what's connected here, giving the source of life to this branch. And so I have a picture here of a vineyard because I couldn't just grab one and bring one in today. So um, we have the picture of the, the vine. And this picture is actually, this is what it looks like in winter, which is lovely, right? It's what everybody imagines when they go to a vineyard. Uh, they call these, they actually cut it down to, they call it a cane because it looks like a walking cane. But this is what it gets trimmed back to every winter. And so the reason they do it is they trim it back completely to the source so that nothing else can come from it except from that pure source. And a lot of times we can have lots of other things that we think, well, it's, it's okay if I leave this on or I allow other things to remain in the same area or whatever. They cut it completely back. So there is no questioning what's coming from this. It is the true vine and only 
the true fruit is going to be produced from it. So then we get to us, this wonderful branch. Uh, we are the shoots the, that come out of the vine, and it's told that we are to bear fruit. And, and this thing, I can tell you right now, other than being a locust tree, and it wasn't going to produce fruit either way. Um, it, even if this was from an apple tree or peach tree or whatever it is, at this point, this will never bear fruit again because I did my gardening. And it, we can try as much as we want to muster all the strength, the power, and everything that we want to just try to produce something. It's not going to produce. And it's because it's not connected. It's not, it's not abiding in anything. If it's not connected to the vine, it is unable to produce anything. Unless it stays connected to that relationship, abiding together. And, and it's, a, it's a remaining that's an endurance too. It's not just a quick thing. It's something that you have to remain at for a long period of time. You remain close to him because he is the source of life. And so... When Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you, you have to imagine kind of that flow of the sap that feeds this to bring it life so that in just a couple hours, it doesn't look sad and pathetic. So we need to remain close and our relationship needs to be abiding with God because apart from him, verse 5 says, we can do nothing. So you have the vine dresser that cuts and trims and prunes and it's all for the purpose of bearing fruit. Because a lot of times we can see that we go through a lot of hard things. We go through a lot of difficulties in life and things that we just don't think, well, this isn't nice or pleasant. I'd like to just run away from this and try to escape it. But there's purpose to the things, or that pruning, that, that cutting and cleaning away. The word that is used for prune can also be translated cleansed. That it's cleaned up. And so when we are cleaned, it's for the purpose so that you bear more fruit. So it can even be that you're already bearing fruit, but the cleaning or that pruning process is to bear more fruit. Some of that, I guess, that idea of the things that we go through. Maybe we try to avoid hard things, the things that hurt, because we don't understand what it's producing right now. But the vine dresser does the pruning and all of that at the early stages so that he sees ahead of time to say, I know what will be produced, the quality that will come because of this. And sometimes we have to endure some hard things so that in the future we get to grow. Which led me then to James chapter 1 verse 2 that says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces, it produces something. It's this fruit that it's producing is steadfastness. And let the steadfastness have its full effect so that you can be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then we go even to Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5, that says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that that suffering, it produces, again, it's producing something. We can't just avoid it. It's producing endurance. And endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we have to hold fast, especially during those trials and the hard times. That's when we have to remain in Christ even more 
so that those things can be produced within us. So what does this bearing fruit look like? And last week, Justin talked about the Holy Spirit that he's going to give us that lives within us and then comes beside us as an advocate. And we even talked about Galatians chapter 5. We talked about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We see that fruit of the Spirit, and those should be things that we see within us. But we're going to look in these following verses here to see more things that God is going to produce within you if you abide in him. The next one we're going to look at, if you're following with us, in verses 7 and 8, we're going to see that there's answered prayers. So in verses 7 and 8, it says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. At first, if, if you ever see the word if, that should jump off the page at you because this tells you it's, it's conditional. That there's going to be something that happens if there's something that's done. And so we have to be remaining in him. But then it says if we are going to remain in him and he remains in us, then we can ask whatever we wish and it's going to be done. And somehow God's glorified in that. And I think sometimes we take this verse and we like to twist it just a little bit because it's like, well, it said... I could ask whatever I want, and God's going to give it to me, right? So I want a new car, or I want to find that house that's going to be the perfect house for me, and I can treat it like a genie in a bottle, and you rub the bottle, you know, and you get three wishes, and somehow think that God's going to grant me my three wishes, and somehow he's glorified in it. But we, we see that it doesn't come from just wishing. It comes from abiding, so when I spend time in God's word, and God's word is in me, God begins to mold and shape me in my life, and so that my heart becomes more like God's heart. My thoughts are more like his thoughts. And so when I'm asking for things, it's not something as frivolous as it might be as a car or a house. Those things are not so important. But all of a sudden, when it's saying, I have a deep desire for a, a friend in my life that's far from Christ, that needs to know him. Then all of a sudden I go, my desires are much more aligned with God's. And when I ask God, will you begin to work in this person's life? Maybe, just maybe, we'll see God start to work things and that he'll make himself known to that person. So it has to be an abiding of our hearts and our minds to align with God. And I love at the very end of that, it says, and we're going to bear fruit and prove to be his disciples. So it's evident to the people around us that we are his when we're bearing fruit. So we need to be mindful to be doing these things so that others will know that we are his. The second thing we're going to see is another fruit that we're producing is an obedient love. So we're going to read that in John chapter 15, 9 and 10. It says, just as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love, and if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So when we see God's extreme love that he had for his only begotten Son, and then we look at the way that Jesus then turned and loved his disciples, it was sacrificial, it was deep, it was unchanging, and we see that as the example that we're supposed to have. And verse 10, again, that word should pop off small but powerful, if— 
if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. We can't just say that we love God and never have any action to show it. There has to be a proving of that, the if, that says my obedience to God and following his commands shows my love for him. So if I can keep his commands, I'm showing my love. So those things are tied together and that I need to follow. So we must have obedient love. The next one may seem like obedience, and this next one don't really always go together, but it's an inexhaustible joy. So obedience and joy are two that we might, it's like oil and water, that doesn't seem like they mix really well. Um, But we'll find that when we are obedient to God's word, that he abides in us and we abide in him, we're obedient to his word, there is joy that comes from that. And that's in verse 11. It says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So when we see that that God is our source of life, that we are well connected with him, like our branch, if we're going to be well connected with him, it might be that he prunes and cleanses and takes away some of those other things that may have been there for a while that maybe felt like there was some joy to it, but they were fleeting things. But when we come back to him, we, we understand that the joy that he have is inexhaustible. And so you might think, well, I've had a rotten week. Things have not gone well. Does that mean that God's not in me? And I don't think we need to jump to that conclusion right away. Should we identify things that maybe we could abide better? Yeah. But is the pruning process always joyful? Probably not. But I think when we understand God's view of things, that it might be the pruning's happening now so that later I'm going to be more fruitful, then I can understand there's a joy in the long-term following after him if I will willingly love and obey his commands. The fourth one that's on there, this, it, another fruit that we'll find, is sacrificial love. And that's in verses 12 and 13. This is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. So all of a sudden, we understand that we are to love others. And, and not just, like, I, I love Mountain Dew, um, I think it's a, it's a great thing. I also love my wife. I wouldn't say those are equal loves, right? I shrug and go, eh, I don't know. No. <laughs> they ought not to be the same and equal, right? Um, those ought to be different things. Um, so when, when I'm told to love others, the standard of love that's set before me, the model that we're shown is Jesus' sacrificial love. That is a high standard that we're to see. And it's supposed to be evident within us as believers of Christ. We should be filled with the fruit of sacrificial love. So when we see needs around us, we should meet those needs. And sometimes that's hard because it's like, well, what if I'm not fond of this person? Or what if if it's a task I don't like doing? Or what if it means giving up something I do like doing? But then I'm told that my measure, that I'm, my standard that I'm going by is Jesus' sacrificial love. That I sinned in my life 
and I've broken my relationship with God. And because of that separation from God, somebody has to pay the price. And I'm, unwill- I, I'm unable to pay the price because it requires a perfect sacrifice. So Jesus came and lived on this earth, lived a perfect life, paid my price for my sins, and died for me so that I could be reunited with God and live with him again for eternity. So when I look at that sacrifice, and all of a sudden I go, yeah, I guess just because I have to give up something or I don't get to do some activity I thought was fun, or I have to love somebody that I am not super fond of, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. So when I put that into perspective, I realize, okay, now that I know I need to be sacrificing and be loving to others, it's a little easier to do when I understand the sacrifice that God's given me. So why should we choose to abide and bear fruit? Chapter 14 made it clear as we walked through that this last couple of weeks. Dave preached a few weeks ago and pointed out that Jesus kept pointing everyone back to the Father. It was all about this relationship with the Father. And everything was about the Father. It was mentioned, I forget how many times now, 14 times through the passage. that It was all to point everyone back to this relationship with the Father. And then Justin last week talked about that Jesus is going to send another of the same kind and that we were supposed to be connected with him, allow him into our lives And so Jesus is inviting us into this close relationship with him, that we are to be close and not just distant. And that's what we look at in these last couple of verses here, 14 through 17. It says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what the master is doing, but I've called you friends, that that all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and abide, or should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you, that you would love one another. You see, this idea of the servant or being, being a servant, we, we can look at as an employer, employee. As an employee, you're told a task to do. You're not given all the information of why this is playing into the big scheme of what the corporation is doing. You're given a task, and you're told to go do it. But no longer are we just told the task to go do. We're invited in as a friend to know the purpose and the plan of what we're doing. So when we're invited into this, we're invited into this rescue plan that Jesus has set in place for us to be able to be reunited and connected with Jesus. So when we understand this plan that we're a part of, your abiding and your producing fruit plays a part of that. Because when you live that out, you are proving to be a disciple, and then you are being an example to those around you of what a Christ follower looks like. So this obedience that comes is, comes from having our hearts connected, that we are on the same path. We may have differences along the way, but it doesn't matter because our aim and our goal is in agreement with God's. So through this series that we've been walking through, the Gospel of John, we look at this intimate portrait of what Jesus looks like. And in this passage specifically, we learn about Jesus and how do we get connected and abide with him. And we look at the fruit that we produce because we are united and connected with Jesus. There should be fruit that comes from our lives to prove that we're a follower of Jesus. 
and also to bear witness to those around us because the fruit's not for us. The fruit is for the people around us. And it might seem like a really big task and it might seem overwhelming at times to go, how do I do this? How do I even bear fruit so that other people can know me? And maybe that ties all back to the beginning when Jesus says, I am. Maybe I don't feel like I can always do this task well. Maybe I don't feel like I abide well. And Jesus goes, I know, but do you remember I am? I'm sufficient. I'm enough. If you abide in me, we can do some great things for him and his glory. But apart from him, we can do nothing. So as the worship team comes back up, I want to challenge you to look at your own life. Are you producing fruit? Is there evidence of your connectedness with God? Because truly abiding with God, it brings him glory and it bears witness to those around us. And I know that summer can get extremely busy. People can be all over the place, but our abiding has to remain the same. In John chapter 6, Jesus asks Peter, he says, are you going to leave me too? And I love his response. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We have to get to the place that we understand where else are we going to turn? He is the source of life. He is the true vine. There's nowhere else to go. So there might be cutting and pruning, but we remain close to God because there was a progression in these verses that said we were to bear fruit. And then it said that we are, there's the pruning that happens so that we can bear more fruit. And then it said to bear much fruit. It's supposed to be growing in our lives day after day. So if Jesus is taking up residence within you, he's molding you and shaping you, you're allowing him to work on you and prune off some of the things that maybe shouldn't be there, there should be some evidence in your life. So just as a tree, an apple tree produces apples, and a peach tree produces peaches, a true follower of Jesus should love and pray and obey Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word and for calling us into this relationship with you. And I ask that you would be with each and every one of us that as we try to grow closer and closer to you and to abide better, God, give us the strength to just remain close and not try to do it on our own, but to know that you will do it through us if we stick close with you. So God, we ask that you be with us this week and help us to abide in you. God, we love you and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with